Okay, so we have been going through second, I'm sorry, First Thessalonians chapter 5 in kind of a slow pace, right? Two, maybe three verses at a time. Well, this passage is nine verses, so there's a lot in here, okay? I'm going to get to most of it um, in the time we have, but for the most part, I want to focus on those first four verses in particular, right? Verses 19 through 22. And it's going to take us into a lot of different places in the Bible, so we're going to be all over the place today. But we're going to focus on those four verses, right? Starting in verse 19, where it says, Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. And abstain from every form of evil. So as you read those verses, you might see right away that this is a call to spiritual discernment. You know, Pastor Mark writes up the preaching schedule several months in advance, and so earlier this year when I, I got the assignment to, to preach on this passage, I confess to you that I was pretty excited. I, this is right up my alley. Spiritual discernment is something that I am very passionate about. It's, it's really important. It's important for all of us. And so I got excited when I, when I saw that I was going to be preaching on this verse. I couldn't wait to study it. This passage is a call to spiritual discernment. And the first thing that Paul says is, do not quench the Spirit. So let's start with that. What does it mean to quench the Spirit? Well, the Spirit he's referring to is the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. God the Holy Spirit who indwells believers once they repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, quenching the Spirit should not be confused with what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, where he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's something different. To grieve the Holy Spirit is, is different. It, to grieve the Holy Spirit would be when, when we sin, and the Holy Spirit, who's living inside us, grieves over our sin. That would be to grieve the Holy Spirit. But here, he's talking about quenching the Holy Spirit. So to quench the Holy Spirit would be like when we quench our thirst, right? We, we're extinguishing the Holy Spirit or, or dampening or diminishing the Holy Spirit. So before we can completely understand what that looks like, we must first consider the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, first... You might remember in John chapter 14, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the helper, right? He called him the helper. And then he said that the helper will teach us all things. And later in the book of John, Jesus refers to him as the spirit of truth who testifies about me, who testifies about Jesus. So the Holy Spirit teaches us the things of God. The Holy Spirit teaches us the things of God. We read the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit gives us understanding. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not be able to fully understand the things of God and what he's revealed to us about himself in the Bible. We might be able to understand the surface things of God, but but the deeper things of God, we would just be utterly ignorant of them without the Holy Spirit in our lives. Second, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. 
The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Again, in the book of John, in chapter 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. As a believer, when we, when we sin and you feel that conviction of that sin, the Holy Spirit is the one doing the convicting. Third, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability and the desire to obey God. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability and the desire to obey God. In 1 Peter, Peter refers to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. You remember Pastor Mark several weeks ago, he defined sanctification for us, remember? And he said that when we're being sanctified, we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ as we walk through our faith journey. We're becoming more and more obedient to Him. Our sanctification, our increased obedience to God is the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? You know, I I hear sometimes people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. I actually disagree with that. He's going to give us more than we can handle. But He's also going to give us the Holy Spirit to give us the power to handle that. And so we can be obedient. We can be sanctified. So the Holy Spirit teaches us, He convicts us, and He sanctifies us. And when we quench the Holy Spirit, we are not allowing Him to teach us and to convict us and to sanctify us. We're quenching the Holy Spirit. We're diminishing Him in our hearts when we do that. So that's quenching the Spirit. So let's get to kind of the heart of this passage here. Verses 20 through 22. Let's read those three verses again. Verse 20. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Prophetic utterances refers to speaking God's truth. When someone's prophesying, they are speaking the truth of God. It's not just what you think of when you think of the Old Testament prophets um, kind of predicting the future, that kind of thing. That's part of it. That's, that's one aspect of, of prophecy. But prophesying today would be speaking the truth from this book. Prophetic utterances. This is a call to spiritual discernment. Let me give you a, a simple definition of spiritual discernment. I've said the word a few times already, so let's grab a definition. Spiritual discernment is the ability to separate God's truth from error and half-truth. It's the ability to separate God's truth from error and half-truth. 1 Timothy 4. Paul, Paul is actually he's speaking here about error and, and false teaching. And he tells Timothy, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Now that last part there, that's just an idiom to describe contemporary philosophy. He's saying have nothing to do with worldly fables. You've got to know the difference, he says, between worldly fables and the truth of God. They're two totally different things. They're on 
opposite ends of the philosophical spectrum. We have to know the difference. We have to be able to distinguish that and be nourished by the Word of God. Why? Well, because sound doctrine and false doctrine both can have eternal consequences. Sound doctrine and false doctrine can have eternal consequences. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We, we just saw a verse out of that chapter on the screen, but I want you now to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if you're in 1 Thessalonians, you got 2 Thessalonians and then 1 Timothy. So it's just two books over to your right. First Timothy 4, we're going to read verse 16 here. It says, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Now watch this. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and for those who hear you. Sound doctrine and false doctrine can have eternal consequences. Paul says, if you persevere in sound teaching, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and those who hear you. And so the opposite is true as well, right? If you do not persevere in sound doctrine, you do not ensure salvation for yourself and for those who hear you. That's powerful. Go a couple chapters to your right in 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. So verse, in six, chapter 6, verse 3, Paul says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. Strong words from the Apostle Paul. But his words get even stronger in Galatians chapter 1. It's going to be on your screen. Galatians 1.8 says, Even if we... Or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Exclamation mark. And then he repeats it. He says, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Exclamation mark. Paul repeats that for emphasis. That those who preach a different gospel are accursed. And each time he writes it, he follows it with an exclamation mark. I think he's trying to get a point across. You know, we hear so often different gospels. There's so many out there. There's a lot. And some of them are subtle. But probably the most common different gospel is the works-based system. Right? And we hear so often that a works-based system of, of justification, in other words, you can earn your way to heaven. If you do good works, you will earn your ticket to heaven. A lot of people will say that that's the same thing as justification by faith alone through Christ alone. It's not the same thing. It's different. The reality is that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, just listen, you don't have to turn there. He says that we have been saved by grace through faith, 
and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, to say that good works are necessary for salvation is, in fact, a different gospel. The Bible says that good works are a result of salvation, not a requirement of salvation. If you're truly saved, the good works will naturally come. But they're not a requirement of salvation. And according to Paul in Galatians 1, the man who preaches that different gospel is to be accursed. Church, this is serious stuff. Serious stuff. The enemy, Satan, is heavily involved in false religion and he's heavily involved in false teaching within the Christian church. It's one of his primary goals, false teaching. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4, chapter 1, Paul refers to false teaching as doctrines of demons. This is our call to spiritual discernment. You should still be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, so let's look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, Paul says to Timothy, keep the commandment. What's the commandment? The commandment's the word of God. He says, keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. And then skip down to verse 20. Verse 20 says, O Timothy, now he's getting passionate. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing argument of what is falsely called knowledge. Timothy, guard the truth. Guard it, he says. Know the difference between truth and worldly wisdom, which is error, empty chatter. Falsely called knowledge. Colossians chapter 2 calls it, calls worldly wisdom empty deception. The elementary principles of the world. These are strong words, friends. I hope, I hope I've gotten your attention. This isn't, this isn't my opinion. This is God's word saying this. So spiritual discernment is the ability to separate God's truth from error and half-truth, right? There's a major difference, major difference between how the world views God and how He reveals Himself in the Scriptures. Major difference. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable, and perfect. We need to be transformed by the Word of God so that we can be discerning. To make a separation between what the world says and what God says. Strong words. You say, okay, well, we got that now, Mike. We, we got, you got our attention. We're called to spiritual discernment, so what do we do about it? That's a great question. How can you, how can I become a discerning person? I hope you're motivated to be one. But how do you become one? The first thing, number one, is desire. Pray for and cultivate a desire 
to become spiritually discerning. There has to be a desire. Without that desire, you will not become a discerning person. If your desire is only to be happy, wealthy, healthy, satisfied, comfortable, there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things. But if that's your only desire, or if your only desire is is just to propagate what you believe, what you feel, what you think, then you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. I've, I've seen so many people do this, right? They, they twist the words of the Bible to fit their own agenda, to fit their own lifestyle even. We need to pray for the humility, that, the humility that says, I don't know and I don't trust my own feelings. I don't trust my own judgment. I must become discerning. We need to pray for the understanding that God's word says that Satan will attack the truth in his desire to draw people away from God. We need to know that we are easily deceived. I can be deceived. I can't trust my own feelings, my own thoughts, or my own emotions. I must be discerning. Some of the biggest false religious, religious systems prey on the feelings and emotions of its followers. They'll say things like, follow your heart. But what does the Bible say about our heart? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So I would say, don't follow your heart, but lead your heart. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who struggle with putting their heart, their feelings, their emotions above the Word of God. I actually had a conversation with a a dear brother in Christ who I love so much. This was over a year ago. And we were talking about a particular doctrine that we didn't have an agreement on. We didn't see eye to eye on. And so we went to the Bible and we said, what does God say about this? And as we, as we combed through the Bible and, and tried to find out what God had to say about it, it, he came to the conclusion that what I was saying was the truth of God. He understood that and he accepted that. But then he said, I just don't feel like it's true. It's a scary place to be. Very scary place. Now, that's not to say that our faith is completely devoid of feelings or completely devoid of emotions. Not at all. Not at all. More often than not, you'll see a person who's being saved, you'll see them drop to their knees in tears of sorrow or tears of joy over God's love for them. And that joy will sometimes manifest itself in just this unrestrained display of emotion throughout their life, throughout their walk with the Lord. I love that. I love seeing that. That's a beautiful thing. We just had a prayer night here last Thursday. It was an amazing time, wasn't it? I mean, it was just an amazing time of worship. We had some worship music and and bringing our petitions to the Lord. And I saw several people on their knees with tears in their eyes. Tears of sorrow, tears of joy. And the love of God was just thick in this room. We need to pray for a desire 
for spiritual discernment and not just rely on our feelings or our emotions. If you don't have that desire, pray and ask the Lord to give you that desire for, for spiritual discernment. Pray for the humility to be discerning. And the Lord will provide. He'll provide. Proverbs chapter 2 says, For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as, a, as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Cry for discernment. Seek her as silver. Then you will discern. Now somehow, some way, I, I, I got that desire. By the grace of God, the Lord gave me that desire to be discerning. Very soon after God saved me, my number one goal was to understand this book. I had to know what God was saying. I didn't want to hear anyone else's opinion about it. I didn't want to know my opinion about it. I just wanted to know what God was saying. How God intended it. Pray for that desire. Pray for that discernment. And you will receive it. There's an illustration of this in 1 Kings chapter 3. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. So you'll have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, and then 1 Kings. And we're going to be in chapter 3. So while you're turning there, if you're not there, keep going, keep, keep turning there. I'm just going to read chapter 5 just to kind of set up this scenario here. I'm sorry, not chapter 5, uh, verse 5 of chapter 3. It says, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. That's pretty cool to hear from God. Ask what you wish me to give you. And so Solomon begins to pray, and there's a bit of a preamble there, and then he He says in verse 9, Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. Solomon says, I wish for discernment. What a great request. He could have asked for anything he wanted, and he asks for discernment. Beautiful. In verse 10, It says it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before, nor shall, there, nor shall one like you arise after you. And then in verse 13 he says, I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. So Solomon asked for discernment, and God provided. And then he provided what he did not ask, which is riches and honor. Now, This isn't saying that if you pray for discernment, you're going to receive riches and honor as well. But what it is saying is that if you pray for discernment, God will provide it for you. And he's going to bless you beyond your comprehension. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, 
who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ask God, plead with God to make you a discerning person, and he'll do just that. Number two, learn from those who are gifted with spiritual discernment. Learn from those who are gifted with spiritual discernment. What you'll find is that in the church, there are people who are just naturally gifted to discern. In 1 Corinthians 12, you don't have to turn there, but there's a list of spiritual gifts that the Lord gives to believers. And in verse 10 of chapter 12, Paul mentions the gift that he, that he calls the distinguishing of spirits. In other words, discernment. Now, this is fascinating to me because the early church did not have the Scriptures as we know them today. They didn't have the New Testament. It was still being written. So, evidently, the church was dealing with false teachings already. False teachings that were brought about by demons and and Satan trying to infiltrate the church with lies and, and doctrines of demons. And there was a need already to be able to discern between divine truth and demonic error. So how did they know if the person speaking was speaking from God? They didn't have this book yet. Well, there would have been some in the church who had the gift of the distinguishing of spirits, discernment. They had that ability. Turn to Acts chapter 16. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the very next book is the book of Acts. And we're going to be in chapter 16. This is a pretty cool illustration of this. So Acts chapter 16, verse 16. It says, It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now, was this slave girl speaking the truth? Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul and Silas were servants of the Most High God. They were proclaiming the way of salvation. And then in verse 18, it says she continued doing this for many days. But after listening to this for many days, Paul knew that this was coming from a demon spirit living inside this slave girl. And so in the second part of verse 18, it says, But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Paul knew that if this demon spirit through this slave girl spoke enough truth, then the people would embrace her. And once they embraced her as one who spoke the truth of God, she would then speak lies and and heresy. And the people would unwittingly receive it. But Paul was able to discern this. By the grace of God, he could discern this. You see, the enemy, the enemy does this. He, he puts in just enough truth to deceive people. And then when they've embraced this false teacher, that's when the lies begin. 
God has given some in the church the gift of spiritual discernment. They are able to distinguish truth from error. They're the watchmen of the church. We have several people in this church that are very good at this, and I would trust them to teach anyone the doctrines of God's Word. So desire and pray for discernment. Learn from those who are gifted with discernment. And then number three, glean wisdom from mature Christians. Glean wisdom from mature Christians. In Hebrews chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, but the writer is exhorting the people to become mature Christians. And he says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Did you get that? The mature, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Mature believers have discernment. Ephesians 4 says, We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. He's saying, Be discerning. Don't be like children. Children are inherently undiscerning, right? They'll believe almost anything you tell them. They'll believe that an obese man can slide down a fire chute, right? Practice discernment. Practice it. It's a process. It's a process. You need to follow those that are mature in the faith. Now, what's the one thing that all mature Christians have in common? I'll give you a hint. It has nothing to do with how long they've been a Christian. All mature Christians are constantly nourished on the Word of God. 1 Peter 2 says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Acts 17, the amazing Berean church, remember them? The Bereans, it says, They received the Word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I tell people all the time, be like the Bereans. Be like the Bereans. Examine the Scriptures daily to see whether the things that I'm saying are so. Don't just take my word for it. Don't take Pastor Mark's word for it or anyone else who's in this pulpit. Don't take our word for it. Examine the Scriptures yourself to see whether the things that we are saying are so. Be a Berean. And if you are in the Word, nourished by the Word, you'll grow in your maturity. Now, James chapter 1 also talks about that we'll grow in our maturity through trials. Trials are also a part of that. But being nourished in God's Word will grow us in our maturity. It's a process. It's, it's a process. Follow the path of maturity. Don't be content to be just idle. Pursue growth. This is a call to spiritual discernment. So, if you want to be a a discerning person, 
Pray for and cultivate a desire for it. Learn from those who are gifted in it. And glean wisdom from mature Christians. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. If you're in Acts, we got Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians. And we're going to look at chapter 1. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. Now stop right there. That our love may abound still more and more. And that is important. Our love must abound more and more. We must reflect the love of Jesus Christ. He loves us so much, more than we could ever love him. And we need to love him back, and we need to reflect his love to the world. But some people will say that all you need is love. That we need to preach the word with love, and that means that we never call anyone out on their sin. We never make them feel bad or never say anything negative. Yeah, we need to be loving. Yes, of course. Love should be at the forefront of everything we do. But I would say this. One of the most loving things you can do is to tell someone the truth. I remember when one of my best friends got saved. He and I were really close, and we were not very good guys. And then all of a sudden, he got saved. And he starts, his life starts changing. And he starts loving his wife like Christ loves the church. And he starts going to church, and he stops going out at night. And then... He starts telling me that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus loves me enough to die on the cross for my sins. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't like that. I didn't like being called a sinner. I knew I was one, but I didn't like hearing it from him. But he loved me enough to risk sacrificing our friendship to tell me the truth. And as it turned out, I... I ended up drifting away from him. I didn't really want to be his friend anymore. But he loved me that much. And by the grace of God, the Lord res- restored that, that relationship. We must love. But we can't use love as the primary means of interpreting the Bible. We, we, have, we can use it. We need to use it. But not as the primary means of interpreting the Bible. So why do I say all that? Let's go back to verse 9 of Philippians 1. I'm going to read that first part again. It says, This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. Now watch this. In real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is our call, church. This is our call to spiritual discernment. If you don't have it, pray for it. Watch the mature Christians in our church and learn from those who are discerning. And I'll be praying too. I'll be praying for all of us, including myself. We need to be spiritually discerning. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team. If you need prayer... If you need prayer for discernment, 
Our prayer team is going to be to my left right after the service. They would love to pray with you, pray for you, and just love on you. So I encourage you to, to join them uh, right, right after the service, right here to my left for prayer. Let's pray right now as we uh, continue in our worship. Father, thank you that you've given us your word, your Bible. And thank you that you've given us that desire to be discerning. This church does do that well, Lord. But to the extent that we do it well, I I pray that we excel still more. So please give us that desire. Give us that ability to discern. And please continue to sanctify us through the nourishing of your word. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.